Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Let's Talk Assassin's Creed, your normal podcast for all things Assassin's Creed. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to episode 153 of Let's Talk Assassin's Creed. We're going to be doing a double book review, book discussion in this episode, and uh, for this, we are joined by a returning guest um, and, let's say, an epic Assassin's Creed collector, but perhaps also, very interestingly, um, contributor and, and content creator for the ones who came before. So uh, Michael, Mike, known as the Lord Rayless, welcome back. Tell us a bit about what you've been up to with uh, the ones who came before. Definitely. Thanks for having me back. Uh, so <clears throat> the ones that came before is a community group uh, ran by a column um, that from the UK community uh, that's been going on, I believe, eight years now. I think we just celebrated our eighth anniversary in in the last year, it's been a bit quiet because we have had to do some heavy maintenance on our website uh, and move it from a static site to a dynamic site with the way that it loads information and everything. But uh, So we're still in the process of rebuilding, but I have been a content creator with them since about August of 2022, 2021, uh, and I've been doing book reviews, product reviews, um, just general things around collecting transmedia and uh, just my own personal opinions of the series in a whole, Assassin's Creed. Uh, more recently, I put out a review for the uh, Assassin's Creed The Golden City, uh, which I know is something we're talking about later on in this episode. Uh, but previously, I have put out reviews for all of the Aconite books, except for uh, the Assassin's Creed China novels, um, though in the process or in the at the moment, not all of my reviews are back up for uh, reading again by the public, as we're still uploading uh, multiple years worth of content to the website. So I am working on getting that review back up for Sword of the White Horse. That way, it can be read again by all of the listeners. Uh, but yeah, that's pretty much what I've been doing alongside of. Just working through my Assassin's Creed timeline and juggling some other hobbies. And uh, yeah, your your contributions are are significant, especially your, your detailed book reviews and, and the quantity that uh, that you're going through. I've got one quick question. Catching up with you, we haven't spoken in a while, so I think we first spoke to you. It was more than a year ago, and you were a fair way through your genetic memory. Um, sort of sequential playthrough of the entire mm -hmm. franchise. What date have you reached up to in that? So currently I am in 16th century uh, China slash Mongolia, which is the uh, the location of the Assassin's Creed Desert Threat uh, Xiaozhen trilogy uh, storyline. It's non-canon, uh, but it's still uh, so far a pretty decent trilogy. Uh, making her one of my favorite characters. But because of all of the additional content that was added to close off Assassin's Creed Valhalla and the transmedia that is continuing to be released for Assassin's Creed Valhalla as well as Assassin's Creed Dynasty, and then all of the stuff we had for AC-15, I've had to do a little backtracking on top of a, a new project where I'm trying to catalog all of the historical references to books and other media in the games, movies, shows, everything, um, so that I can build a, a historical library. And that's taken a little bit of my focus away from just actually reading. 
<laughs> you've got some very large scale projects then um, in progress. Okay, so we're not going to be talking about the Shao Jun novels um, published by Akonite today. There's, is there two have been released or one's released, one's preview, I think, and a third on the way. Is that right? As far as the United States go, there are two physical versions. The third one hasn't been announced yet, but we know that it's coming. Uh, as far as the UK, though, I know that the ebooks are out, and I want to say that they just released the physical version of it, but it I may be mistaken there. Uh, but have. I want to say it's available worldwide. Uh, I, we got a copy of the Desert Threat physically. Okay, then yes, it is we out. We did. Yeah. We so, did. Yeah. That was that the first one because I got to be honest with you. One. The first right. one is the Ming Storm, which is a, uh, which is a adaptation of the Assassin's Creed China game, but uh, in almost a completely different storyline. You've got the same characters, the same happenings, but different locations and more fleshed out story. Okay, so I've I've started <clears throat> the first one, Ming Storm. After about four chapters, I'm be honest, I, I wasn't into it. I don't know what it was, but I just couldn't get into it. So I, I haven't finished it. And I haven't even looked at the second one in the trilogy. I guess at some point we'll look at them, Declan. I'm not sure. But uh, yeah, those ones, that first one didn't didn't grab me. Not not the way that the two books that we're reading tonight have and, and uh, Mega's Conspiracy as well um, did uh, last year. Um, so shall we make a start then? I suppose in in publication order rather than timeline order. Should we make a start with Sword of the White Horse? But before we do, Declan, I think you, you want to have a bit of a chat about the legends of the British Isles and, and how they're handled or not handled um, by Assassin's Creed. Because wasn't there a reference back in AC2 to Arthur and Excalibur and all that stuff? Yes. So um, Excalibur has been confirmed for a while now to be a Sword of Eden. And there lies the problem. We know, because everyone's going to sick of me banging on about mythology, but quintessentially, British mythology is different than a lot of places. It's part of our culture and part of our heritage to the point where physically, if you would travel back in time and you would have this big, shiny sword and you say it was Excalibur, there is a realistic chance that you would have been crowned King of England because that was... The legend, but the story of Camelot, Merlin, has captivated people for years. Even Disney created the Sword and the Stone, which is a very popular Arthurian legend. And it's how our young Arthur pulled Excalibur from a stone where no one else can become the king. And there lies the crux of my issue. Valhalla lets us wield Excalibur. Great, I have no issues. Valhalla um, says it's, it's a Sword of Eden. Great, no issues. However, there isn't a single dialect or recognition from the world that Ava wields Excalibur because if they did, they would have claimed that she was the next Queen of England. And to me, that is very vital because in the Sword of White Horse, the um, character Neve does actually specifically say that there is a plausibility. And the key word there is plausibility. I'm not going on a massive rant that she will be the Queen of England. But there's a plausibility that Eivor could be the Queen of England. And that is important because if the series capitalised on that, it would have made an interesting point that Eivor could have overthrown Alfred and taken 
England for herself as the Queen, and if she was in line with the Hidden Ones, the Hidden Ones would have had a more of a foothold in the country more than the Templars. So it would have been a very unique and dynamic twist that would have been historically accurate, if that makes sense. It does. it does. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, you know, what's funny after hearing you say that I just realized, and I don't, I don't know if that's actually what, um, what the author was looking at doing, but, uh, I, I just realized that, um, uh, Hytham and Valka are kind of like one of King Arthur's knights and Merlin to Eivor. Yes, see, you were touching on a very good point because this is another thread that I noticed that Eivor is an Arthur. Technically, she pulled the stone where no one else can. She's unfit to wield it, no offence, but neither was Arthur to start with. He needed a mentor. Hyphen's always been Eivor's mentor, always. So I would say Hyphen's, you know, like a Lancelot or a... um. Not Guinevere. Um, oh, I'm trying to think of the other knights that were more of his right-hand people. There was Lancelot and Sir Galamir, I think it was. They were Galahad. Like, Galahad, they're the one. So I would say Hypham is the Galahad, but Merlin, not to typecast because she, uh, Valka's a seer, but Merlin would be a Valka because she offers wisdom and hope, and that's what Merlin did, even though Merlin never got involved. And technically... No offence, but Valka's a little bit more smarter than Hayfam at times in the book. <laughs> and Merlin was smarter than all of the knights of the round table. And plus, as well, I'm not trying to like this on Valhalla, because Valhalla's got a great story, but the women in the mist, um, who talked about Avalon, you know, that's a big thing in the book. Descendants of the round table, you know, they're enemies that are alongside the Order of Ancients in the book. That's vital because AC2 said, hey, King Arthur was real and he had a sword and, you know, that was Excalibur. So mm-hmm. in British in British culture, we don't know if King Arthur was real that I'm aware of. He's just a figurehead. Yeah, it's legend or myth, isn't yeah. right? But AC2 confirmed he was a real person who had a sword. He threw the sword into the lake the women of the mist live on an island in a lake and they look after the sword. Yeah. AC2 canonized Arthurian legend in a grounded way. Valhalla, no offense, ignored a little bit of it, which isn't a problem. It had its own story to tell and it worked best. But this book picks it up better, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. It does. I'll, I'll make two points about Valhalla as the game, not the surrounding media, which really surprised me. Was I expected, obviously Stonehenge is there and you can do one of the, uh, the graphical puzzles there. And of course, Excalibur is underground nearby. Um, I expected Glastonbury Tor to be an area, a location of more significance, like an Isu site or... Mm-hmm. I mean, and we'll come to Glastonbury Tour in a minute because it's in the book. Um, likewise, I expected Tin, I know the map doesn't extend that far into Devon and Cornwall, but I kind of thought Tintagel might be there, which is Arthur's, you know, mythological or, or legendary castle. Um, and as, as the game continues to lean fairly heavily into myth, and like you say, Declan, these are pre-established, Arthur is pre-established as a, 
Did he have, I mean, he had Excalibur and Excalibur is a piece of Eden. Did he also have an apple of Eden? Or was it just the, the power of the sword that let him, you know, control England after the Romans left? I assume it was the sword in the same way as um, the sword that, that um, Genghis Khan had. Yeah, um, I think it was that just was the what, sword. Yeah, okay. Yeah, because the was, swords provide influence uh, to whoever holds it. I mean, we saw it in AC Heresy. Yes. Uh, with Jonah Ark, uh, you saw it in Unity. Uh, you know, that sword gives them the power, but they have to be physically holding it. Whereas mm. the apple can operate on its own at times. That's a very good point and a very good distinction. I'd never thought of it so clearly as that. Yeah, yeah. Um, go on, Declan. Um, just a quick one on about Sword of Eden. Um, I don't know if any of you else know this, but there should have been two Sword of Edens in Valhalla instead of one. Because there is a legend, and I searched this when we knew his name, Sigurd, of Odin, dressed as an old man, um, plunges a sword into a tree. Mm -hmm. And the hero, uh, I think it's Sigurd's father in the legend, not Sigurd, Sigurd, but the mythological Sigurd had a father who pulled the sword from the tree. And apparently AC Wiki says that was also a sword of Eden. Interesting, but we don't see it in the game, do we? It's not a, no, a sword I, we can collect. I can't remember. I don't know if it's the Bismarck or if I'm thinking of something else, but I remember reading it because I went on this massive... Barnstalker? I think so. No, it's the tree. That's the tree. But that's the tree he stabbed the sword into. I wonder if the sword even has a name. Mm. Uh, I'm trying to go on the wicket. You know what? Used to, like... <laughs> Do you know what? I'm suddenly reminded of that, that little scene from... <laughs> Game of Thrones between Arya Stark and um, <laughs> Sandor again. <laughs> Do you guys know the scene I'm talking about with about the names of swords? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Deccan, yeah. do you know it? You, you've uh, read the books. I do, yes. Yeah. Yeah, just it's hilarious. Anyway, so the sword probably does have a name. Anyway. Um, I, I found it. Go for it. So it's actually, weirdly, it's by the wiki, it's Excalibur. So, according to how the wiki is reading, the sword that Attila the Hun used is the same sword that Arthur used but named Excalibur. But during the late 6th century, so this gets interesting, a beggar uh, disguised as Odin plunged Excalibur into a tree and only the warrior Sigmund was able to pull it out. So, and then in the night... Are we talking about in-universe here? uh, That's... The mythology, but that that's on the Wikipedia, Google Wikipedia. Okay. Are you saying so, the Assassin's Creed Wikipedia or Yes, Assassin's okay. Creed Wikipedia. That makes sense because there have been plenty of times where a piece of Eden, whether it be a sword or an apple, has gone through rebranding. Mm. So it's an interesting detail because if the Assassin's Creed Wicca has a source, and I trust the sources from it, and I'm trying to find what source they've linked, that means that in 6th century, someone disguised as Odin would have stabbed Where are you getting the Odin reference from, though? Because Odin is long dead. Well, okay, his spirit lives on in Eivor, sort of, although it's not a spirit, as discussed by <laughs> in previous discussions. But where are you getting the reference that Odin had control or... Oh, he was holding Excalibur in the um, in the sort of the video, wasn't he? Um, yeah. The Animus Anomaly. And right. He ki- I think he used that sword to kill a dragon. 
don't at me people i know dragons <laughs> don't belong in sc but <laughs> this information is apparently this ref is referenced in valhalla because the wikipedia has a number five and that takes you down to valhalla which is confusing because it was the ninth century that wait no number two i was looking at number five number two is assassin's creed 2 so assassin's creed 2 claimed that odin stabbed a, a sword into a tree and was pulled out by sigmund and that was excalibur but odin can't have been reincarnated so it proves that fallen mythology is canonically crazy and difficult to do See, what's weird, though, is that that's not lining up with the wiki for Excalibur itself on the AC wiki, because it notes that the only owners are the Isu, um, Avalon, the lake itself, you know, submerged in the lake, the Women of the Mist, Arthur, Eivor, and Neve of Argyle, um, or Argyle, I don't know how how that's pronounced, but I'm not seeing anything in here about Odin specifically on the ex- ex- that specific Excalibur. So it says here, and this is a weird, that the mythology the mythology was, in the 6th century, a uh, beggar claimed Odin, disguised as a beggar, put his son into Barnstoke, whoever split it free would receive it as a gift, only one Wait, of Sigmund. sorry, you're talking about the original Norse myth, yes. not the way that Assassin's Creed has but, borrowed from it and reinterpreted it. But however, it. what follows it says... In 1889, the myth of inspired German illustrator to draw what he entitled Sigmund's uh, Secret. And then in 2012, Clay Korvmak included Garrett's illustration of Sigmund approaching the sword in the tree in a set of puzzled. He hid him with the animus for his success when Desmond Mal to find. Desmond did so in September that year, uncovering Clay's message, suggesting that the sword of Sigmund was in fact a sword of Eden. But not necessarily the same sword. But Sigmund... So there must have been two swords then. Excalibur... Yeah, and Sigmund's sword. Because looking at the Swords of Eden on the wiki again, they say for the Middle Ages, they had Attila the Hun's sword in the 5th century. Early 6th century, they had Arthur's sword, Excalibur. And then the late 6th century, claiming to be the Norse god Odin, uh, or a being claiming to be the Norse god Odin, plunged a sword into Barnstoker, uh, stating that whoever pulled it free would receive a gift. Only the words Sigmund pulled it. Uh, and then the 9th century, three year, 300 years after King Arthur's reign, Eivor pulled it out. So they're noting various different swords of Eden. And then the 13th century, Genghis Khan had uh, notes and artifact remained in the Mongol hands. Um, mm. But it's it's presumably a sword. Uh, but they don't they don't know for certain. And then they go into the 14th century with the Knights Templar and uh, I think this is uh, Malay. Yeah, Jacques de Malay. And then it goes into France and then Feudal Japan had a sword. There's so many different swords. Yeah. Yeah. But I wouldn't be surprised if one sword had passed hands that many times. But seeing as the Excalibur was put into Stonehenge by the uh, the women of the lake or the women of the mist, um, it was locked away until Arthur pulled it, or after Arthur pulled it, it was locked away until Eivor pulled it. So. 
I think the swords would be different from what was in legends for or mythology for Odin's sword. So yeah, that paragraph referring to. to Odin doesn't make sense to me. I think that's where the wiki guys and girls, with the best respect, let's be honest, subsequent games don't always build properly or logically on top of previous stories. And I think they're just trying to make their best guess. Yeah, and not all the pages st- on the wiki necessarily line up always. Indeed. Some of them may not be Indeed. edited as frequently as others. So, yeah. but it's still a. I mean, it it has been something that has been done before, where a piece of Eden has been rebranded. Mm. Um, especially when we're looking at uh, Altair's apple, uh, Ezio's apple. Um, you know, because uh, there was two different apples, um, and you know those apples traveled various places. I mean, Columbus took it to his deathbed, and then Callum, you know, took the apple from uh, from uh, uh, Riken. You know, so. There's various times where something has been, but these we're in that that point now in the the history of the games where everything is getting like historically named. It's like this Odin spear is a piece of Eden, Excalibur is a piece of Eden, you know, so on and so forth. All right, can I just go on one little tangent before I bring up the piece of Edens? Um, with please do the white horse. <laughs> right, this is just a quick tangent hear me out right so what if the wiki is correct right what if Odin's sword was put in tree by Odin but it wasn't Odin it was an actual earlier sage now I have been now that mad- sounds more interesting yeah so I've been on this mad thing about myth since uh, the Constantinople book which we'll discuss later but I did find in myth, Odin had a disrespected son. He was banished, but it's his only named son in myth that was disrespected. Now, what if Odin gave him a task? Test Yggdrasil's device for us. If you live, you can redeem yourself. If you don't, you're still going to be you. You're still going to be that branded traitor because you didn't like him. I'm not going to go into the myth because it's long-winded. So, what if? He tested Yggdrasil device as a guinea pig, and it worked. And he was obviously resurrected early, and he took his father's sword, plunged it into a tree, and he said he was Odin, he could lie, and then it, it was possibly the idea of, as, um, in the myth, his son was the one who killed Fen- who was fated to kill Fenrir in vengeance. So what if it was like a little idea of, you know, if it works, you can avenge my death, so he takes the sword plunge into the tree and tasks Sigmund with the task of finding Fenrir and killing him, which was impossible because the sage never came active. So it was just a fool's errand. It's it's possible to, to explain like that. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's possible with the sage aspects, because uh, of course, you know, all of the Isu were dead. Um, and only yes. the sages are there. Um, but the other thing I look at is with his disgraced son was that before or after Loki had pretty much destroyed his life. I think it was before. Okay, then there's a possibility. But I think after what happened with Loki, I don't think Odin was very trusting. Because along the myth, there is just something that the son did something. I can't remember what it was. But his destiny was to kill Fenrir after Odin's mm-hmm. death. So 
his basically the whole what I looked at was basically like, you know, I'm gonna die by Fenrir. You have to avenge my death. So it's like a little secret, you know, mm. on the side. You're a disgrace, but you can get your honor if you kill the man who kills me. Test the device, and if he has managed to escape to the future, you can kill him. Like if he manages to survive the, apo- the apocalypse, you kill him for me. Doesn't work like that because I don't even think the Isu understood what the hell the Exodus device really was. Mm. <laughs> I think they, even then they were a bit like, eh, "We'll test it. If it works, it works." Well, even if that was the case, the only person that would have been able to get him out was Valka's mother. Because Plot she was twist. the only one that was in the tree mm. when Layla found it. Plot twist. Dun 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 dun. I don't know. I'm on a crazy. Or when Avor found it. Yes. Yes, that's right. Yeah, that was really unsettling. Walking, walking into that chamber. Of course, the whole thing is unsettling anyway. And then you find there's already someone plugged into the machine. Right. And uh, I looked once and thought, but who on? And then it clicked who it was. And even though you know it's many hours prior in the story. Now you go back to Valka's hut in Norway where Savala is sitting there sort of in a catatonic state. And yeah, it was, I was really unsettling to be honest, which is, you know, that's what games should have good storytelling elements to make you think and mm-hmm. make you unsettled. But uh, yeah, um, we should probably talk about Sword of the White Horse a little bit. Yes. Um, so yeah, I have, on, Declan. it all ties together. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> it does. I have one last discussion point before James can take the reins because I'm on a mad one because I know I missed last week, so I've been preparing like okay. mad to. Oh, I this. see. You've, you've you're sort of all stored up, are you? With... Yeah, because right. I missed last week, so I'm just trying to like get back in the flow and help out. So, last question I have burning contradiction of pieces of Eden. Now, sort of the White House. I don't know when it's set, so someone will have to help me there. But, it's right before uh, Eivor leaves for uh, Ireland to see okay. her cousin. Yeah. So that means then, judging by Sword of White Horse, every piece of Eden you find for the Ireland DLC is not canon. Because, except for Excalibur. Except for Excalibur, because Neve asks about what if you had Mjorne, Fall's Hammer, and Volk's like, well, we don't have Fall's Hammer. Right. Because Eivor only ever found... Excalibur. So uh, why the Not necessarily. It could oh. just be that she hasn't returned to Norway yet to get Mjolnir. <laughs> well, the, I, I think the whole point of it, in the video game, you as the player are wanting to have the ultimate weapon. So they're going to give you all of the weapons of mythology because it's like, who doesn't want to play as Thor? You know, in a game. <laughs> yes, indeed. But in the story, in the actual canonical story... There's no point in having Eivor have every single piece of Eden. Excalibur is Eivor's piece of Eden. Um, you know, Ezio had the apple, Altair had the apple, Edward had the uh, the skull and the cube. Uh, you know, Connor had the the sphere. Everybody has one exclusive piece of Eden to them. But, of course, you're going to find other ones, especially in the RPG series. Um, But Eivor's was Excalibur. You know, it's canonically stated now in the book that Eivor had Excalibur. Eivor fought with Excalibur, and people respected her for it because Excalibur was putting out that energy that said, this is who is influencing you. This is who you bow the knee to. 
And that, do you know what? That is probably sort of the White Horse is a is a good adventure story in its own right. But what you've just said there is a really nice. It, it really summarizes perhaps the key edition of this story. If you if you want to go really in depth into the in universe story and what what is uh, like you say, what does each protagonist have that's unique to them? This book confirms that yeah, it was uh, this this magical sword. Mm-hmm. Um, that Abel came into uh, into contact with. I think, yeah, you. This is where, of course, <laughs> Abel. <laughs> she comes into contact with so many pieces of Eden. Um, it it almost uh, defies <laughs> any kind of believability. But yeah, it, I think you could make a story, um, Declan, where you know she returns to Norway later or collects other artifacts at, at other points. Because there's a little reference in Sword of the White Horse as well that. Um, Eivor's about, it's just half a sentence that she's going to Ireland soon, um, which of course is Wrath of the Druids, but also she's going up to um, Caledonia, to Scotland, which I think is a, re- I took as a reference to the um, the crossover where she meets Cassandra. Um, so that, those sentences sort of place this story chronologically in the game and all the expansion contents wider story. I do have to say, I know that the wiki team do their, do their very best, but unpicking these timelines from all these different media and coming up with a consistent timeline for Eivor is a, it's an incredible piece of work. And it, it's it's on her biography page, um, but uh, it really is impressive. Um, should we talk a little bit about what this book kind of adds to the canon then? So the book follows a new character, a character that's independent of the game, independent of the other transmedia called Neve, Neve of Argyle. Um, Argyle is a, a region of modern day Scotland, Caledonia, as it's described in the book. So north of the wall. Um, and we follow Neve, uh, her, her story. And she's a member of a, of a secret group. It seems at this, this time in history, there were many secret groups doing their own thing. Um, so she's a member of a secret group called the Women of the Mist. They appear to be, um, they appear to have a long-standing, um, what's the right word? Animosity with a, another group called the Descendants of the Round Table. Um, and I feel like this book is really, of course, like you say, Declan, there's a lot of uh, rich mythology that can be drawn on for telling the stories. And I feel like this book really draws on that and, and uses it and, and kind of fits it into the existing uh, world of Eivor and the Raven Clan, um, but there are some other characters as well that we meet who who cross over. Um, so, Michael, why don't you tell us a bit about the other characters we meet and uh, what uh, what is Neve's task? So, Neve's is assigned by the Lady, as she is called, the head of the the Women of the Mist to investigate the Hidden Ones and figure out what happened to Excalibur. Excalibur used to be in the lake um, at Avalon, and it was taken from them at uh, some point after they had put it in Stonehenge. Um, And they have an idea of where it is, um, the Hidden Ones being affiliated with the Ravens clan. uh, They, doing their behind-the-scenes I say magic, not in a literal sense, but um, just for lack of a better word, um, manipulate it to where Neves receives an invitation for a woman named uh, Nimu or Nimu. I don't know how it's pronounced. I think it's um, Nimway, but it's not obvious. Nimway, okay. Um, 
um, so receives an invitation for Nimue to come to the Hidden Ones in London and pretty much uh, audition to join. Um, so posing as whoever this person was, uh, if they were even real. I'm fairly certain they were. Um, but she meets with Haytham and pretty much auditions to join the Hidden Ones uh, who are still fighting the Order of the Ancients. Um, and while doing that, she is trying to figure out more and more about the Raven's Clan and who has Excalibur. Um, and through that time, they introduce a few other characters that are standalone to the story. Marcella is a Roman uh, assassin who is going to be the head of the London Bureau, um, or at least the new London Bureau, because in the game, the London Bureau was um, was there, but it was destroyed mm. when the Order of the Agents pretty much caused them all to evacuate the entire country. Um, Haytham and uh, Basim's uh, reintroduction to the country was also in part to help them rebuild the Brotherhood. Uh, funny enough, very similar to how Xiao Zhen is rebuilding the Brotherhood in China. But anyways, um, there is also a new Order of the Ancients leader. Uh, let me see if I can find his name. Cyrus, I think. Cyrus, I think. Yeah, that sounds yeah. right. Um, <clears throat> and he is... You know, I, I'm, I'm trying to remember exactly what his focus was. I know one of his focuses was that he was capturing uh, women and keeping them locked up, uh, especially nuns. Yeah, he's not a pleasant chap. Um, his Let's motives see. are, well, unfathomable, really. Um, I'll tell you one thing I, I found unusual in the book and actually this was something i was going to check with you michael uh, because i've got the advanced reading copy here on my kindle which we were we we, we got access to um last mm -hmm. spring last summer i can't remember i do have a, the, the paper copy i just my, my office is still in a bit of a disarray so i could only get to the the advanced reading copy um and cyrus is described in the book and there are multiple references throughout the book to Roman. So Marcella, as you said, is a, is a Roman assassin, which makes sense. You know, the city of Rome still existed, of course, not the Roman empire, but what was strange was Cyrus is described as a Roman soldier. And there are lots of references through the book to Romans. And I wondered if that was a mistake, which was corrected in the final edition because the Romans had been gone 470, 480 years since the Romans had left Britain and the Roman Empire had gone, well, 50 years after that. So I, I, that's a little bit of, I don't know if that's just a bit of an error on the author's part or whether they, the author's using the word Roman to refer to kind of the Frankish kingdom, you know, the, um, the Carolingian kingdom or something like that. But it did kind of seem a bit strange to me because, yeah, the Romans are long gone. So I wonder why Cyrus was described as a Roman and why we kept getting references to the book in, during the book um, to these Romans and not just Anglo-Saxons. Um, but what, what does the, the final version of the book say? Does it still use the word Roman? 
Yeah, it still uses the word Roman. I think it's mm. more of a, reg- a regional identity. Yes, Rome fell and the Romans are pretty much gone, but yeah. it's I, I look at it as the same way of saying uh, American. You know, Fair. it's not necessarily, I mean, even though most people associate it, uh, like if you say Roman, you're associating it with Rome, ancient Rome. Uh, you say American, most people are associating it with uh, the United States of America, but American could technically mean Canadian. Um, you know, it could mean, uh, you know, Mexican, it could be South American, you know, even though it's, again, always really pointing towards the United States. Um, But I would, I think the Rome is still, yes, the empire is gone, but the Roman people still live on, you know, and I don't, I, I don't have the information in front of me on what happened to the Roman empire in the ninth century, like how was it broken up? But instead of saying, you know, they come from, you know, uh, you know, Greece, or they come from Italy, you know, where whatever it is, Roman also still gives a, um, a sense of the person. Mm-hmm. Do you know what you said there? It could, if you wanted to try and explain it away, you could say that uh, it's a reference to the Eastern Roman Empire centered yeah. on Constantinople. Um, which was that still yeah. going strong. Western Roman Empire was yeah long gone, broken up into many successor states. But um, yeah, that was just one bit that always sort of stuck out on the page to me as Romans, really. But mm. I, you know, I like your explanation of take it geographically rather than um, right. as a political entity. Um, but yeah, so this is the other bit that I would love to clarify in terms of the chronology. So Neve undertakes a series of of missions for. Um, Marcella, who you've mentioned, and Hytham, mm-hmm. um, targeting Order of the Ancients. But I wonder how that fits with the chronology of the game where Eivor's already dealt with that threat, has she not? Or maybe she hasn't, or maybe they've returned. I don't know. That's, again, where the author probably had a very difficult job of fitting a story into the existing um, actions and events that are already established. So the Grandmaster of the Order of the Ancients at the time, at least in England, is Alfred. Alfred is still alive. Um, So the Order of the Ancients is still alive. But the other thing that we have to look at is there are going to be multiple sects of uh, or cells of the Order of the Ancients. Um, And communication may not necessarily be the best. So yes, while Alfred has stepped away, it doesn't mean that he's told all of his people, stop doing what you're doing. You know, he's not Giovanni from, you know, Pokemon where he's all like, you know, I was defeated by this child and I'm going to dismantle my my criminal organization. No, Alfred's like, no, we still want to get people to move to Christianity. We want to still control people with the word of God. Um and that's what uh, that's what Cyrus was doing. I went and looked at it again, and the the holding of the nuns and everything. They're trying to get rid of the pagans, um, and so that's what they're doing. That Neve and Hytham and um, you know Volca just kind of get pulled into on the side while they're um, you know trying to stop the Order of the Ancients. I think personally, I think that's why this Excalibur storyline kind of hits so well because Eivor is by rights a pagan. 
mm-hmm. you know she's not following christianity so in a world where um christianity is like forcibly taken over a country that is built on paganism you know the celts the original scots everything was paganistic in them days ava is the perfect embodiment of freedom you know she's come to make a life she's pagan and with excalibur you know that's england's best option you know instead of a ruler that's going to push christianity they want a ruler that's going to accept their ways so it's an interesting story beat that do you think the game could have looked at as well from a different angle no because i think that the the whole premise of the game was Eivor wants to find land for her people, and she finds the enemy with Alfred. You know, he's like, you've coming to our land, and you're taking it from our people, and you think that that's okay. Um, and while they do come to an agreement at the end of the game where it's like, you know, yes, you have your land, you know, even though they didn't take Ravensthorpe from anybody. It was abandoned. Even though somebody does come down the line and say, hey, this was my town. Um, but um, the whole thing was trying to unite England, um, which could give Eivor the ability of being a leader, even more so with Excalibur in her grasp, but she doesn't want that. Uh, I mean, we've. I, I feel like it's been long enough since the last chapters come out. We know what happens with Eivor. Eivor is trying to discover herself and find peace with the embodiment of Odin in her. Um, and the she just as soon as she finds that her people are safe, her people are. They have their land and they're they're able to progress without her. She's able to leave. She never wanted to be a leader. She never wanted to take Ravensthorpe from Sigurd. Um, she only stepped in when he couldn't. You know, she she's a follower and she has leader tendencies, but she does not want to be a leader. She wants to have the peace that she found in Vinland for herself. So, uniting England, coming and finding that, you know, Alfred is no longer fighting with the Vikings, and, uh, you know, Guthrum has taken uh, the name Eccleston as his, uh, if I'm remembering right, right, as his Christian name. Hytham is leading his own new uh, Bureau of Assassins um, and rebuilding what they are. Everybody is growing and moving on. But there's no struggle for England anymore. And not that Eivor ever cared about the struggle for England. Eivor only ever wanted her people to be safe, much like Neve is wanting for the women of the lake, or the women of the mist. Um, so there's their similarities there. But the game wasn't looking at making you, the player, as king of England or queen of England, depending on which character you chose to play with. It was showing you about making something your own and making, uh, making that legacy, you know, in, in, in growing as a family, as a group, as a unit, whatever you want to do. 
Um, yeah. So I think that's why it's then on that point, and um, it's a good thing why the events happened, why they got rid of the sword and gave it back to the woman miss, because even though Ava has the sword and she was using it, its true potential was never that, and it was too risky, you know, like, mm. she was never going to capitalise and be the leader, she was never going to take the rightful seat of the throne as she's entitled to, so, but somebody would, somebody would take it off Ava, so it's a good twist and that sword's taken off Ava because it needs protecting because the wrong person could take it and claim the throne. So, yeah, and it that's definitely true because you're right, Eivor would never have stepped into a seat of power, but Eivor loves her weapons, and if somebody's trying to take something away from her, because that's what happens, Neve is able to get Excalibur away from Eivor, and it shows, or it's it's laid out in one of my favorite scenes of the bo book, where Eivor actually uses her, uh, you know, Vikings roar or warriors roar, you know, Viking call, whatever it is, and literally screams out her, you know, power at uh, at Neve uh, when she sees that she's taking her sword, and that starts the whole chase and puts you know neve on the wanted list for the ravens clan and the even the hidden ones uh until she gets with hytham and says um or was she partnered with hytham or she partnered with Volka, or was it both where they have to say that it was destroyed because it has to go back to her people um you know so uh, that Eivor's was Valka's all like, plan wasn't it to cause like a taking, massive distraction yes <clears throat> It's like, yeah. Eivor's, you're taking my sword. That's all that matters. That is mine, and I love what it does. But Eivor would never use it for what it was meant for, which was to, which is what the the descendants of the Round Table were wanting to do. It was to put somebody in power just because they hold the sword. You know, you're holding this now. You can influence everybody to follow you, and then we're going to tell you what to do. But of course, as soon as the Order finds out that that's what it does, they want it as well. I wonder, and I love James Fox on this as well, I wonder, because James mentioned about other, other secret agencies, what if the Order of Ancients in this book wanted it because they wanted to usurp, usurp Alfred? Because a lot of the Order of Ancients seem to be like, Mother of uh, Father Understanding, the Mother of Wisdom, and the Voice of Reason. So they had their paganistic roots to the Isu, but Alfred's radical reformation was hey, it's Christianity, it's God, it's one Father of Understanding. Could then it be like a little meta message that a form of audience may have wanted the sword to usurp Alfred, but somebody they could puppet in power to keep the roots that. Because if Alfred's in power, he will already make as many radical reforms as possible because he's starting where a puppet king would not make so much drastic changes, if that makes sense. It does. And I think this is an area of that could be for some really interesting storytelling. So you've, like you say, you've got the Order of the Ancients, as we know it from the time of, um, you know, 
the stories told in Odyssey and Origins and then in Valhalla. But then we've got the Templars as they were established at the time of Altair um, in AC1. And between the events of Valhalla in the 870s and the events of, of Altair in the what, 12th century, the Order of the Ancients transitions into this kind of Christian-based or Christian-influenced organization. We know we now know that Alfred started that process, you know, reformed the order. But, you know, he's one guy. He's one leader across the whole continent of Europe. Um, and there will have been, surely will have been resistance. It would have been a, wouldn't have been a case of all of the existing um, members of the Order of the Ages would have gone, yeah, great plan, let's go. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of sort of a Captain America Civil War type situation here where you've got people willing to sort of convert, quote unquote, to the the new belief system or the new organization system. And you've got those that actually quite like the way things were. Um, would there have been purges? Would there have been a lot of political skullduggery? Almost certainly. You know, organizations, whether they are countries, whether they are militaries, whether they are businesses, they have hierarchies, they have um, politics, um, they have people who want to progress. Um, you know, anywhere there's humans, regardless of whether they are working for the, you know, the so-called betterment of humanity or peace through control or whatever, there's always politicking. And a change like Alfred wanted to bring would have caused an awful lot of backlash and politicking. And you know, it probably wouldn't be very exciting as a game, but I think there's there's an awful lot of transmedia potential there for for Alfred because he didn't live very long. He was did he die in eight nine nine? I think certainly he didn't live into the nine hundreds. Anyway, um, you know, he didn't have that long to spread his ideas and his influence enough that they stuck and they became the dominant structure. Yeah, it was eight nine nine. Right, it was eight nine. So he had about. Uh, seven or 20 years to, to spread his ideas and his new structure and his influence. Excalibur, Excalibur would have been a very powerful tool either for Alfred or for those sort of, I don't know what you want to call them, legacy members um, who preferred the old way of doing things and not, not tying themselves to, uh, to Christianity. Um, I don't know if it's stated in the book, but yeah, we've got Cyrus, we've got the priest, is it, Deofric? Deofric? Yeah, Deofric. Father yeah. Right, and, and plus a few other, I think one or two other targets. I don't think it's ever stated what their relationship is with the wider group, is it? It's kind of ambiguous, which is fine for the book, for driving the action forward. But So that actually brings, that actually goes back to the thought that I was just uh, processing while you were, you were talking about that. So mm. I don't think that there would necessarily be a need for anybody to absorb Alfred because... The Templars, the Order of the Ancients, their whole thing has been that they are trying to control the people because they don't think that the people can control themselves. So you go, you know, you go back to Odyssey and um, and Aspasia, and the whole thing was controlling behind the scenes to run a country, a city, a you know whatever, to where. It can progress and become better, but of course, they're going to take personal benefits from what they're doing. 
Um, mm. You know, we're going to sit on the top of the mountain while we control everybody beneath it. I mean, that's how power works. Yes. And then Odyssey or Origins, you started to get a bit more into the Isu aspect, but it was still controlling not just Egypt, but the entire Roman Empire, um, you know, by taking Caesar, because who was the, who was running the Order of the Ancients in Egypt? Um, oh God, it's that character that no one can ever remember the name of. Is it, is it Flavius? Who is I the actual so. leader or Septimius? Yeah. Flavius. And of course, he's it's got kind of a running joke, isn't it? Because no one remembers who he is because yeah. he's such a non-entity until but the he end. has the ear of Caesar, you know. Yes. So it's like you've yes. got the you've got that power. But then when we get into Valhalla, the power isn't necessarily trying to take the country; it's taking the people through their beliefs. Christianity has been introduced, um, and it's spreading like wildfire. And it's much easier to say we now live for the church because that's how we will we will you know progress and by spreading and that's what they were doing in the in sort of the white horse the order of the ancients are still spreading Christianity but by force they're taking the pagans they're getting rid of them they're housing all of the nuns in a stronghold to make sure that they are doing what they want them to do, you know, and Alfred is controlling through the word of God. And as you progress um, throughout, I mean, look at uh, Rodrigo. Rodrigo became Pope because he is now the voice of God and mm. the Templar, uh, you know, Grandmaster. And then as you move into, um, you move into the 17th century, it's no longer, Christianity is our tool. It's now, okay, we want to control the people. And now we have to look at the majority of the people are now Christian, or they're at least aggressive enough to spread Christianity, whether it be with power or with love or respect or whatever. But now it's, we have to govern them again. So let's return back to the ways of Aspasia in Flavius and now we are going to introduce law. We are going to show you how society is to work, you know. Um, and yes, we are going to put people beneath us. We will have our slave trades. We will have our our hierarchy of power. Um, and we will tell you who has rights, who doesn't have rights. And we are now a government. And then you take that governance and you start to break it apart because, again, it's starting to fight within itself. It's having that internal turmoil, and we have Assassin's Creed III. Um, you know, you've got the the Americans versus the king. You know, the Kingdom of England, and again, the Order of the Ancients. Now, the Templars are still trying to run the govern. You know, run the government through you know, taking control of certain people, trying to influence other people, but the Americans are so passionate about their freedom and they're supported by the Assassin's Brotherhood that they're able to kind of defeat that completely. Um, and then, of course, moving forward onto that, 
you still have the Templar Order. They're still trying to get their control, but now they're going to start taking out people. And that's what we see in the Magus Conspiracy um, through the European Rebellion, where there's so much rebellions about people trying to overthrow their governments and become free again. But both the Assassins and the Templars are starting to attempt to or successfully assassinate so many people. Um, and, you know, coming back to Sword of the White Horse, Christianity is the issue, but the, and that's where the power is. That's where the Templars are, are, you know, controlling the people, not knowing that Excalibur could completely reverse that and bring what the descendants of the Round Table want, bring the true King of England or Queen of England in Eivor's case back to power and if they have the sword they could usurp uh alfred but it wouldn't be the order of the ancients that's doing it it would be a third party i'm trying to think how how does the story you see i read the book last summer right um, I have been rereading it over the last couple of days to refresh my memory and I haven't finished. <laughs> so I'm trying to remember how does Sword of the White Horse end? Is the sword returned? No, it can't be returned to the vault. Is it returned to the No, it's returned to Avalon. So returned what happens Avalon. is Okay, yes. Neve gets with with Vulcan Hytham and they they quote unquote destroy the sword uh, mm. in front of everybody. So the oh, yes, Order yes. of the Ancients, the Descendants of the Round Table, the Ravens Clan, the people of England see that it has been destroyed, but that was just a replica. Um, the actual sword is returned back to the lake, and the lady, who is the head of the Women of the Mist, steps down, and Neve becomes the new lady. So Neve is still gotcha. in England protecting the peace of Eden and really, I mean, that, that's all they're doing. They're protecting the peace of Eden. They are the guardians of Excalibur. Um, they're not influenced or influencing the people of, uh, of England. They're not trying to be political. They're not making moves on anything. They are protecting the sword. That is all they're there for. And now that they have it back in their possession because their vault failed, even though it was an Isu vault, <laughs> <laughs> they have yes. what they need. So if we were to ever see Neve come back, it would probably be in the way of some kind of support in the way of let me tell you what I've been doing or what I would do in this situation, but it's the closing of that myth. You know, we had a very isolated mythological legend story that was a great adventure, but it's ended and there's nothing more that needs to be said. You know, we don't continue to try to write for King Arthur's tale and, you know, what happened next and everything. No, we know what the legend of King Arthur was. We know that he passed and that's it. You know, so that's it for the sword of or for Excalibur. This yeah. is what happened to Excalibur. And unless it was to somehow come up again. Uh, in the future of England, it's just a myth. It never existed. It's just a story that we tell our kids at night. Hmm. 
It's interesting that it wasn't touched upon in the modern day. Maybe it's a good modern day uh, MacGuffin for a future game. Possibly. You know, um, the assassins. Go on, go on, Declan. Sorry, uh, I should have put my hand up. Um, Arthur's meant to return from the dead to claim back Avalon. Plot mm. twist. <laughs> that might be a stretch too far, do you think? I don't know. <laughs> um, I want to ask you both then. Like, a, uh, So we've been talking about the story of the book and so on. Um, a little bit about the characters and the factions involved. Um, did you enjoy it, both of you? Very much. I think one of the best things for it was it started the exploration into Hytham. Um, you know, as we continue with this podcast, we're, you know, we're going to talk about the Golden City, which is another yes. book about Hytham. And later on this year, we have his actual journals that are coming out. He is a major anchor. He's almost Da Vinci. For Ezio, he is the anchor of the Assassin's Brotherhood in this Viking saga. You know, uh, you know, people talk about how we didn't have assassins in the game. We did have assassins; they just weren't the main character. And now we're showing how are they regrowing? You know, and then on top of that, you look at the other characters like Volca. Volca was always this mysterious, you know woman of you know power in the way that she was who the who the viking people came to in in the ravens clan to get understanding of what's going on you know i I look at the various forms of media like vikings on uh you know history channel uh, at least here in the states and um you know other tales where the seers were the you know, they were the voice of God or the gods. They were the the guides to the darkness and stuff. But what this book did that was so great was they gave Volca humanity because Volca was always mysterious and talking in code and, uh, you know, or talking in verse or whatnot. But then watching Volca see her sisters in religion, not just necessarily paganism, but seeing her sisters being held captive and saying, Hey, we've got to fix this. It's like, Oh, you know, Volca wants to do something now. This is great. And, you know, seeing her, you know, it was, it was almost like a buddy cop movie, but instead of it being Neve and Hytham, it was Neve and Volca, you know? And you know, that's a really great way of describing it. There's definitely sequences. You're right. She's a real, instead of being rather remote in her hut, as like a, a consultant <laughs> to Avor. Yeah. She's definitely a woman of action in this book. And you're yeah, absolutely right. A, a Buddy Cop is a good way of describing it. Yeah. 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 It's it's certainly a good addition. Um I enjoyed it too very much as a as an action book. And it's a great addition to the the storytelling of all the different characters. And like you say, and I think we were talking about this the other day um in uh, on Discord, you know, Hytham now has a huge amount of story Mm-hmm. for his life, his character, and, and everything else, with with more coming, like you said, with the journal. So I can't wait for that, to be honest. And um, what about you, Declan? Did you, uh, did you enjoy Sword of the White Horse? You know what I'm going to say. I do, but I've got to ask the question because <laughs> that's, that's how we do these things. Did you enjoy it, Declan? I, I, I loved it. I think the best way I would describe it is Valhalla is proper traditional Viking story, this is a traditional English cultural story because it has a lot of references to King Arthur and a lot of English heritage is built on King Arthur and the book is phenomenal. I love Valka more because Valka is just epic. I loved Hayfam more because Hayfam's adorable and I want to give him a hug. 
<laughs> and you know, I I'm not gonna lie, I wasn't a fan of Neve on paper. Hearing about the story, I wasn't convinced it was gonna be good. Mm-hmm. I wasn't convinced that Neve was gonna be catchable. I wasn't gonna conceive that this whole idea of well going after Avar and something back. I just thought it just didn't sound good. I was happy to be proven wrong. Neve is my favourite character from that time frame. She's smart, she's funny, and she would make a badass assassin. She would. She, she would. was perfect. But I think definitely Valkyrie and her were perfect. And the scenes where they bond over essentially their beliefs was brilliant. It was just mm. well done. All right. So on that bombshell, shall we uh, shall we jump a, a few thousand miles southeast and what twenty years further back? Actually, maybe it's not as many years back as that, is it? Um, it's so a prequel. It's yeah, a pre-sequel. Golden <laughs> City. No, yeah, twenty years sounds about right. It was like eight fifty something, but it's also after. Um, it's after Mirage. Plot twist. You're right. It is after. So it's off. We we need to get the uh, the chronology right here. So I have eight five five eight sixty seven CE. Okay, because yes. it's around the assassination of Michael the Third. That's right. This can't be right though, because okay, again, I'm I have the wiki article for Hytham open here now. If Hytham was born in eight five five. He didn't go to Constantinople in 867 because that would make him 12 years old, <laughs> which is not old enough <laughs> to have finished. No, you're, you're right. You're right. I actually do be... need to update this because Michael the Third was um, Leo's father, uh, Leo the First, and he was 10 at the time. So not mm. Leo the First. Was it Leo? Mm. Am I thinking the name wrong? Leo is the young boy. So I yeah. tell it, let's let's set the scene. So we're in the the book, uh, Golden City. Um, it covers well. We have like an intro, couple of chapters. Then the story jumps, which which take place over a day or two. The story jumps forward, I think, a few weeks or even a few months. But then, sort of, the bulk of the the story um, covers action, probably just over a few days, maybe a week. So. It's a fairly kind of tight time period um, of the events of the story. Um, the story is written from Hytham's perspective ex- explicitly. Um, so he observes the world around him. He observes his mentor, Basim, um, and he, he has an inner monologue about Basim and what Basim's intentions might be and so on. Um, but we never get... So if, if you're thinking about Golden City as an insight into Basim, we only get that indirectly through Hytham's observations. Um, and the, the story covers, I, I guess this is spoilers, but you can come back and listen to this um, later. The, the story covers um, the emperor of the Eastern Roman Empire, Basil, and his son, Leo, and, and various plots and, and uh, court subterfuge, shall we say. Um, the assassins put themselves right in the middle, or the hidden ones, I should say. The hidden ones put themselves right in the middle of it. Um, the book isn't published yet, though, is it? We've we've all had early access. Um, yeah, the book come comes out? out in April, right in the states okay. on the physical. But uh, the gotcha. the ebook 
um, or the digital version will be available worldwide in April. And then the paperback will be available in the UK uh, in June. Understood. Understood. So, and there definitely is a discrepancy with the time. Uh, Leo the sixth was the uh, was the son of Basil the first that we are looking at in this story, and he was born in eight sixty six. Um, but he's like ten or twelve years old in yeah. this story, which means yeah. that this would be eight seventy six, eight seventy eight, which is after or right during what's going on in Valhalla. So they have played with history a little bit, putting Basim and uh, Hytham in Constantinople only a couple of months or years before they found the Raven's clan or Sigurd. Um, so there definitely is a little bit of play with the time period mm. um, because mm. if they were in there during this time, then what happened in Valhalla wouldn't have happened. See, I'm weird, and I'm probably wrong, but I've always wondered that... I know his, I know Assassin's Creed is a historical playground, but does Assassin's Creed always have to one-to-one mirror history? Is it possible to mirror history but change dates a little bit? Just because hmm. well. a lot of the history is accurate. In, in Assassin's Creed and a lot of it, it does make sense but the thread you've got to pull out with Assassin's Creed is none of the history makes sense either like Syndicate is the most possible one I can think of quickly uh, Alex Graham Bell never met anybody called Jacob or Evie mm-hmm. you know we're already playing with the fast and of history you know Da Vinci did he really make all them war machines and did a hooded fella really start blowing stuff up with a tank. You know, we have been playing fast and loose of history since AC2. Maybe a 10-year gap is okay? <laughs> Maybe? I think. Well, I think part of the thing is uh, Da Vinci, he never built the war machines, but he did have the, the instructions on them. Um, I mean, we have sketches for proof on that. Uh, but the thing that Assassin's Creed as a series gets away with, yes, I can say that this book takes place in 867 CE because it's around the death of Michael III, uh, because that's what's going on. Bas- uh, Basil has taken over, or Basil I has taken over, and he's, you know, paranoid about his son, Leo VI, you know, taking power because he doesn't think that he's his son, even though he is. Uh, and he's going to assassinate him, but Assassin's Creed doesn't say that the game takes or the book takes place in. Actually, no, they do on this one, uh, but a lot of the times they note it's during the ninth century, it's during the sixteenth century, because they're not giving you specific dates because the dates may be convoluted. Um, so that's how they can get away with it. It's like, yes, this stuff did take place during this century, but for the process of our story, we're going to mix it up a little bit. Uh, but going to the, the front pages of the Golden City, it does note that it is Constantinople 867. So this is 867, but um, Leo VI has been alive for 10 years. Uh, Michael III has just been assassinated. 
Um, so it doesn't line up one for one with history, but it is still accurate. But of course, for the sake of storytelling, they do have to fudge the numbers a little bit. Um, but it's not taking away from it. You can still respect the history. You can still learn the history. Um, because I would have never known about Leo the Sixth or, you know, Basil the First or what happened in Constantinople. But if they were to go exactly with what happened, then history would be wrong or they would be like, yeah, we've had the retcon the last 20 years prior to Valhalla because we want to tell Basim's story, but we have to make sure he's alive, you know. It's it's a little bit of a shame that the dates don't add up and certainly someone's going to have to do some, some mental gymnastics to make everything work. Um, likewise with Hytham's date of birth, because he's supposed to be very young. Um, yeah, he's start, only an acolyte at this he? moment. He's not even a full assassin. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, we can probably check fairly easily, but I think he's supposed to be sort of late teens, isn't he? When I'd Valhalla... probably put him somewhere around 19. Yeah. Yeah, so you know, you, you dial back a few years for the events of Constantinople and the Golden City. He's sixteen, maybe less, and he's got a hell of a lot of responsibility. I mean, maybe he's incredibly gifted, so yeah. that's fine. But uh, I don't know. I feel like he probably needed more training. But anyway, um, so yeah, with this book throws us into a a court intrigue, should we say? Um, and what was surprising for me was that it is is strictly a Hytham viewpoint story mm-hmm. um we don't get and again the writer's got a tough job to fit in between the events of mirage which is a story of which we don't know yet um and very the events curious of how much jolly knows about or Jalia. i'm not sure how her name is pronounced i'm, I'm very mm. curious how much about mirage does she know does she know anything you know prior to writing this good point good point um we should probably ask her. <laughs> uh, I've tried contacting her, but I haven't gotten a response yet. I think she's just busy. Understood. Understood. Yeah, because you, likewise with Sword of the White Horse, you've got to find a gap in all this pre-existing uh, history and story to uh, to tell your own story. Um, I have to say it took me a few chapters to get into this one, um, but I did, and I found myself, again, it's, it's a nice, fast-paced, it's quite short, it's probably shorter than Sword of the White Horse. It's quite a fast-paced action book. Um, a lot of stuff happens. Um, and I think it would be very interesting to go back to, if you were really invested, to read this book and then immediately follow up by replaying at least the early parts of, of Valhalla or, or just meh, save yourself some time and watch the cutscenes because... Hytham is the junior partner with Basim in Valhalla, and he he objects to handing over the the hidden blade to Eivor and so on. And you know Basim <laughs> tells him to 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 watch and all the rest of it and, and uh, mind his tongue or whatever. Um, in Golden City, Hytham he's young, he's inexperienced, he's in a difficult position, um, but we really get a study of his his wisdom, but also his mistakes. Yeah. Um, and how much he has to learn from those mistakes. And he misjudges quite a few situations. And I wonder if that makes him more tentative when they arrive in Norway. 
and does those does memory of those mistakes does that connect nicely as a as a character story with that crazy assassination he attempt he makes on uh, Kyotve, which which ends with him having his leg badly injured. And again, mm. these are all events at the start of Valhalla, so I don't think we need a, a spoiler alert there. Um, but when I was reading the book and seeing, you know, what Hytham was doing, um, yeah, I thought it did connect nicely with what we see later and potentially him wanting to, uh, to make uh, amends for his errors in Constantinople. Uh, but we also know from the last chapter that he turns out to be a wise mentor himself. Mm-hmm. Um, leading, uh, leading the Brotherhood in Ravensthorpe. Um, what did you think of the the book and the story, Michael? So, I enjoyed it. It was a good story, but it's not my favorite. Um, I'm not going to say that it was bad, but it was extremely isolated, and it didn't really add a lot to the overlining Valhalla saga. Um. And I don't know how much it's really going to add to my enjoyment of Mirage. Uh, it would really depend on whether or not we actually get to see uh, Hytham in Mirage uh, and how he works with Basim. Um, but what I will say of what it did do and what I respect the most of it is that it really delves into the sacrifice that the Brotherhood has to give to be a member. Um, and really the big underlining theme of the book is fatherhood. Um, yes. you have a, a prince that's, you know, 10, 12 years old, ignored by his father, Basil the first, and pretty much ignored by his entire court because they're trying to raise him to be a potential emperor, but they're also being punished if they show any kind of compassion to the child because basil is paranoid and he doesn't love his own son and then you bring in a you bring in bass or yeah uh Hytham, the hidden ones to um to protect him and you pretty much stop the assassination or potential assassination after being hired by his mother. But you have somebody who is coming in blind, seeing how awesome the kid is and how nobody is really giving him any kind of care except for his nurse. Um, But even her, she's limited to what she can do because she's being, I take that back. His nurse his mother's guard with, um, is it Tyra? I, I can't uh, remember her name. Yeah, it, 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 I guess it's either Tyra or, or it might be pronounced Tira. Yeah, the, the, I think uh, I pronounced the Norse Tira, but yeah. yeah. The head of the Eagles clan, um, which yes. is a fun little, you know, cross-reference. <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, and later on he learns a little bit more about the other people who are supporting Leo, but not able to give it at face value because of the Emperor. Um, but you really get into Hytham had to sacrifice the potential of having a family to being a hidden one, and he's having to hinder his own emotions for the child because the man that's mentoring him, Basim, who, you know, in his own way also lost 
family or didn't have the chance to have a family. I mean, we know, you know, from Loki, Loki lost his family um, and he still is tormented by that. And he's telling him, you know, don't get attached because you can't be attached to be a hidden one. But he's also telling him, don't be attached because it hurts too much. Um, and you can't continue to be strong and protect these people if you're allowing your emotions to take advantage of you. You know, that could be Basim talking from experience, but it's also influence from Loki talking about, you know, you know, I've lost so many people that I love and I've lost so many people that I love to people I care about. You know, you don't want somebody to experience that as well, you know. Um, mm -hmm. But so there's a lot of, you know, inner dialogue and in looking at the assassins as an actual person and not just a member of the Brotherhood, but in all honesty, if you were to skip this book outside of those insights and learning about Hytham on a personal level, you're not losing anything. I do highly recommend that everybody reads it because it's a great book, but you're not losing anything. Whereas if you were to not read Sword of the White Horse, you're not going to know that Eivor did actually have Excalibur and there was an entire adventure based around it before Eivor took off to... Uh, Ireland, and if you don't mm. read, um, I'm trying to think of another tie-in book. Uh, if you don't read German Saga, um, you know you're not going to miss anything um, from the overall story or what you're presented in the game. But you're not going to know about this epic quest of a side character who really got to live alongside of everybody and. You know, so it's it's a great book for the universe, but if you're not a diehard transmedia fan like myself, or you're not looking for every single thing that's not a actual video game, you're not missing anything necessarily. Yeah, yeah. You make you made a good point with, like you say, the the parental side, right? And uh, I think Hytham might be. I think he'd be a good father. Yeah. Which, and which it, makes it brings, the life he's chosen rather sad. <laughs> yeah, but it, it does, you know, sorry to cut you off. Um, no, you're okay. It makes my, and I think Basim's um, appreciation for Hytham in the last chapter, seeing him with these four teenage and 20-somethings and like being a mentor now, it's like, yes. here's your family, yeah. the, what, you've, what you've wanted but weren't able to have. Now you have it. And I was like, okay, that makes me appreciate that even more, you know, with, you know, Torvi and, um, I can't remember half of the names of the, the supporting characters from the shops, but you know, oh, he now was, he can um, have that family. He can be a father figure, you know, for these, these assassins, you know, because they're going to need someone to show them the ways and what to do, you know, and yeah. that's the family that he's able to have because of the sacrifice he's made. Yeah. Funnily enough, I have that exact part of his wiki article open. And uh, in the last chapter, in that cutscene, he is seen with Yan Lee, who I think runs one of the shops, who you were referring to, uh, Rowan, Tova, and Elric are his um are his initiates or his acolytes not sure what the right word is but um 
I could have yeah. sworn he had the sister from the the hunters as well. Uh, I, I'll take your word for it. I I I don't remember the faces of all. Yeah. So when we had that cutscene in the last chapter, that was heartwarming. Yeah. You know, um, we we've seen the full arc of Hytham from young, inexperienced um, acolyte to to you know mentor and uh, organizer of his own uh, his own bureau. Um, so that scene was great, but I don't remember any of the side characters in Valhalla. So I didn't know any of the names until I just read them off the screen just now. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I'm going to defer to your knowledge here, my friend. It does make me excited for the journals that we get this year. I, because yes. I would yes. love for the journals to tell us what happens to Hytham. I'm assuming he gets to talk about everything going up to Valhalla and with the last chapter, I'm hoping, and maybe we get something afterwards, like Ezio writing his memoirs, or Altair writing his, uh, writing the Secret Crusade, you know, um, or I guess that would be uh, Nicola Polo writing the Secret Crusade. But I'm mm. hoping that we get to see that closure for Hytham to know that does he die peacefully? Does he? have his family or is it going to be an open arc where like Eivor we don't know much more outside of where she ended up yeah that'll be a good it'll be a nice piece of work for someone with the time and with the the character insights that I know I don't have to sort of do a life story of Hytham picking all of these clues up because there's a lot there yeah um, and I feel like Ubisoft depending on how they choose to to assign the work to, to Aconite or to other publishers and the right authors. This one, I think, and is Dark Horse for the journals. Right, okay. Depending on the freedom they give them, you know, they they could make... Hytham could be a character that is, is built up to a level of, you know, mentor along with um, Al-Mulim, you know, one of the most senior members of the Hidden Ones at that time or in, in his time, you know, in the 9th, 10th century. Um, he certainly got the experience and he's certainly been through some stuff yeah. Um, Declan, we've been talking for about 20 minutes about Golden City and we've not, we've not given you a chance. So what did you think of the book? I kind of personally adored the book and I think it's one of the best books to read before Mirage just because I have to give pros to the author herself to create a book that toes the line between spoiling Mirage and keeping what we know about Valhalla intact is a lot of work. You know, you've got to tread thin ice, but also give people what they want. And she did a fantastic job, you know. I believe there's a lot of hints in the book about um, about um, Basim and his journey to be Loki. There's definitely hints already of why he's uh, looking for Sigurd. That's plain. Um... All the Basim's story that uh, Hafen's telling uh, explains why Hafen's a bit antsy about, to me, about giving the hidden blade to Eivor, because his whole pro is don't trust Basim. There's something going on with Basim. <laughs> yes. right. So he's spying on Basim all the way through the Golden City, so that it makes that whole scene where he's like, don't give Eivor the hidden blade. More important, because even though they've fought together, They've respected each other. He still cannot trust Hyphen because there's so much. I mean, Basim was so much close to his chest. And that is a vital thing. But I really think there's a lot of. And I can't 
I really want to talk about it, but I can't till the book's released. But there is a big ambiguity, in my opinion, why, in the why story. Why can't you talk about it? Because it's spoiler. You could do it at the end and people can just not listen to that bit? Yes. <laughs> Hold that thought then. We'll come Hold back to your thought. spoilery bit at the end. So when I get to that bit, just delete the episode and go on. <laughs> stop, stop listening <laughs> and delete, yeah. <laughs> but essentially, I think this book is, in my opinion, essential reading. You need to read it to know about Hyphen because Hyphen in the game is great, but it doesn't get a lot of time. Mm. Hy- Hyphen in Sword of the White Horse is the best Hyphen. There's a lot more pre-base game story that you need to learn, but he's not one dimensional. Like, it's not just game hyphen sword white horse. I really do believe you need acolyte hyphen to build the story because I'm thinking about a lot of the Valhalla scenes of hyphen and then reflecting back on him in the, this golden scene. And I'm starting to think, you know, that is why he's like he is and it respected me as a character a lot more. And I think the book also made me respect Basim a lot as well. Yeah, weird way. I think I like I like Basim. Okay, I wasn't on the Basim Hive train in Valhalla, but this book has made me on the Basim Hive train for Mirage. I kind of like the character. He's he's an Altair, and it's a weird thing. But when you read the book closely, he's brash. He's self-centered. He's like, I'll do what I want. Style. That's Altair. That is a young Altair before Altair grew up. So it's like we're getting <laughs> a, maybe a reverse Altair, you know, low, whereas Altair You, you say up. it's a young Altair, it's it's not Altair, it's Loki. That's Loki. <laughs> but but the thing is, so it's, judging what uh, Darby said, Loki and Basim are one and the same. So whatever Basim's doing is what Loki, Basim would never how do I word it? Basim would never do something Loki did if Basim didn't agree. It's not, it's a PTSD, it's like a split personality, you know, you've got your memory and you've got to accept them, but everything Basim does is Basim. And we know from the trailer of Mirage, Basim was a street thief, you know, so he's always been self-direct. We know in the Mirage trailer, uh, when he's being trained, he makes a mistake in one of the moves, and that's why Rashran is able to disarm him. Already shows Basim is brash and impressive, where he drops a smoke bomb in the crowd. And you know, I disagree in opinion. That's him making the brotherhood quite loud. You know, hey, the assassins are here. Hello, but to me, that's Basim's character. He's brash. So I kind of feel that when people say, "Well, it's like with the campfire scene," oh, that's not Basim talking. That's Loki. I'm thinking, well, as Darby said, you know, they're not two separate entities. You don't have. Basim and Loki, you have Basim with Loki's right. memories. Yeah, it's not like Eivor and Odin. It's it's one person, yeah. but I think to your point, Mirage is going to be good because we're going to see a Basim before Loki. So we will really get to meet Basim for the first time. Yeah, so it's good like, point. if point. he is that brash, self-centered person, then we know he got that trait from being on the streets and how he grew up and that is a vital character development because if he suddenly develops that style with Loki it contradicts Loki's style in the, um, the game 
um, a scientist and who works with um, um, his wife. So if Basim is like straight and narrow, I do what I'm told, and then Loki's memory is making brash, it's like, was Loki ever really brash and self-centered? Because he seemed to be a scientist who just wanted revenge for a crime that Odin committed. Mm-hmm. So I'm excited for Mirage now. I think essentially this game has made me hype for Mirage. <laughs> yeah, I, I would say going back to what I had noted earlier about when you know, what does this book give the universe? This is a an isolated prequel story to Valhalla. But I would not say that it is a sequel or continuation of anything in Mirage. Um, I definitely think that there is going to be a, a big chunk of time between the two pieces of media, Mirage and the Golden City. Um, not like a huge chunk of time, but at least a couple of years. Um, but it's definitely more of a prequel because it's it's really... Yes, you have this isolated story, but why are we here? It's because Basim is trying to find somebody in the Vikings um, to pretty much find Odin. Um, and he knows that there's Vikings here, and that's why he's coming. <clears throat> On that point, I've got a question for both of you then. So we know from Valhalla that Basim traveled to Constantinople. We know that somehow he met or was introduced or found whatever Sigurd. Sigurd had the scar on his neck. Basim thought, this is my guy, followed him back to um, to the Raven clan in um, Fornberg in, in Norway. Mm-hmm. Were you both surprised? Because I was a little surprised that it wasn't that story that we got in this book. It wasn't Basim meeting Sigurd. It was just Basim having a vague interest in these people from from the northern parts of Europe, and that was it. I wasn't surprised because um, Song of Glory did that. Song of Glory started off with Sigurd, uh, you know, meeting the assassins. Oh, wait, for the first sorry, time. I'm going to ask I'm, on, on behalf of the audience and me. What is Song and Glory? Song of Glory. Let me make sure I'm getting the. Let me make sure I have the name right. I may be wrong. AC Valhalla. Uh, yeah, Song of Glory. It was the prequel comic to Valhalla. Uh, oh, it follows okay. Sigurd and uh, Eivor. Uh, Eivor is um, starting to have visions of Odin um, and uh, Sigurd is meeting the assassins for the first time and ends up killing an assassin. Um, I don't remember his name. Okay. Um, But when afterwards in the final pages, Hytham or not Hytham, um, Basim is informed of Sigurd and um, Sigurd already has a hidden blade. He took off of the assassin he killed. Um, And so it, that's the link to Valhalla, and within whatever that time frame is between the end of that comic and the beginning of uh, Sigurd returning to Norway, uh, there would not really be enough time to tell the story. And there's no point of retelling how they got here 
um, to run alongside of a comic book. So this being an isolated story outside of that, you know, a couple years prior, but also noting that, you know, Basim's been looking for whoever this is for a while now. And it's probably as soon as he is influenced by Loki or takes in the sage awakening or whatever of Loki, mm. that's my goal. I have to find Odin. You know, I want my revenge um, for my son. Um, okay, and, that, that makes sense. So, yeah, the so of- I, I wasn't surprised um, okay. because I feel like they've – if you were to take all of Valhalla and its transmedia and lay it out – yeah, you're starting with Basim's journey all the way up until the end of Valhalla, and then Eivor is that key character from Valhalla all the way through the last chapter, and at that point, Basim takes over. So the two are leapfrogging over each other, and they have just very significant supporting cast with Sigurd for Eivor and Hytham for Basim. Um, and and then, of course, all your other casting characters and stuff like that. But this is really just an addition to the Loki-Odin story, but told through somebody else's eyes. Gotcha, gotcha. Do you know, you've just made me think, maybe we should do a, maybe not a long episode but maybe a shorter episode that just runs through if this is the period of the storytelling of this universe you like here is all the media you need and here's a summary of of what each piece of media does that might be quite useful because i mean we've already talked about two of the books today plus there's game and saga yeah plus i've got there are my many entire comics. timeline available on the ones that came before website ah, i'll tell you what would you mind sharing a link i appreciate the website still under construction or, or reconstruction well, that Rebuild. article is up um so let me get it and i will share it with you here please and then y'all can throw that in there there have we'll been a it- few changes that i have made and i'm i'm due for an update on it um, but this is pretty much going to give you, I want to say I have Golden City in it, um, but I know that I've got a few things, uh, especially with um, uh, especially with uh, the other games uh, like uh, Red and... Uh, uh, Hexa and uh, what was the green one called? Jade. Jade. Um, there, there are definitely a few other ones um, that I have on there, but they're they're going to need to have updates down the line. Um, gotcha. But this is still a pretty in depth. I'm actually not too sure. We'll, we'll so, link to that in the video yeah, description. Th- this article is going to have the actual list on it, but I did in the original version of this article have link to a spreadsheet um, where you can check off your actual list. And you guys have access to my old one. Um, I don't think it's been updated. I don't even know if I still have it on there, but I'm putting it here in our chat um, so you can yeah. you can yeah. browse through that. But it does have everything um including miscellaneous books reference books um and announced titles um 
but there are it, it goes everything from the fifth century uh, BC to uh, the twenty first century. I'm sorry, sixth century BC with uh, the introduction of Kuros uh, uh, Azarax and uh, the first uh, appearance of Pythagoras. Right, I will take a note of that uh, that link, and we will put that in the video description for people who want to um, work out, you know, where do these two books that we're talking about today, where do they fit into the timeline, and what other media exist that you might want to explore okay. for uh, that full experience of Ave or Bassa. Yeah, they are Python, on here. Valka, Mirage, Golden whole, City, and Silk lot. Road are all in here. All right, very good, very good. Um. I think with this story, there's not too much exploration of um, the Order of the Ancients. They are there. They are the enemies, of course. But I think it's it's they're there to drive the plot forward. Do you think that's fair, Declan? I think that's fair. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty. It's a pretty straight um, straight telling of of that part of the story. Um, yeah. I really think the antagonist isn't the Order of the Ancients. It's it's uh, Basil or Basil, however it's pronounced. Um, he's just influenced by the Order of the Ancients. You know, they yes. have his ear. Yes. Um, but I, I know, you know, without spoiling, when they did show the leader in Constantinople, I was just like, oh, okay. You know, but I was just like, oh, I, I'm not like, oh, wow. But it was just like, oh, that's kind of cool when they did the reveal of who it was, you know. That's mm. actually running it, but it's like, does it matter? <laughs> no, you're right. It doesn't really. And uh, yeah, Basil, Basil, tomato, he's definitely not tomato. A he's, he's not a nice guy, is he? Um, no, Basil, he's not. not at all. And uh, not in the book. It, you can go and read the real history, but he gets his comeuppance in time. <laughs> mm. Anyway. So any other thoughts on Golden City, um, Declan? Um, other than my spoiler epilogue, no, <laughs> which uh, I just think this is a fantastic book and I was sceptical reading it, but I'm glad I did because I enjoyed it. All right. We'll come to that spoiler bit in a minute. Um, Michael, any other, any other non-spoiler thoughts before we, we do that bit? I would. The only thing I have is more of a personal thought where I, I find it so funny that this is the fastest read that the three of us had completed. As soon as, <laughs> as soon as, um, what was it? Was it Wolfie who announced it or was it, uh, uh, visions of the past? Um, one of the two had be like, Hey, uh, golden city's out. And I was like, I didn't know it dropped. And all three of us had it done within like the week. <laughs> I actually downloaded it almost immediately after that conversation, but I was just busy on other things. And then I didn't, uh, didn't read it for a few days, but it, it's not long. I, I finished no, it in not probably long. And three it, it hours. It is a very smooth read you know yes. it's it's not hard to read it's intriguing and it does keep your attention long enough um throughout the entire story um but it's uh it's something i've noticed um and it this book desert threats and uh what was the Actually, you know what? That's a, a completely separate book outside of Assassin's Creed. But this one and Desert Threat are the two most recent books, and both of them are extremely short, under 300 pages. Yeah, yeah. 
So with that being said, Declan, uh, we're going to enter spoiler territory. So if people don't want spoilers, like we said, the book's coming out in, I suppose, six, eight, ten weeks after we record or after we publish this episode. Um, if you don't want spoilers, turn the show off. Um, Declan, go. So actually, I think probably best to, to be fair, is if we close the episode, but still record. So obviously it's like an epilogue. So if people are turning off because of spoilers. All right, like an uh, after dark section of the show. Okay. Yeah. So if you are listening, uh, if you are dropping to avoid spoilers, thank you for listening. Um, we would highly recommend these books um, to anyone and we'd love to hear your thoughts as well. You can email us at assassinsgrid, let's talk at gmail.com or you can Twitter us at AC, let's talk and James to grid. Keep an eye on at Lord Rayless on Twitter because he drops amazing stuff and the ones who came before are always active on there. So thank you all for listening and we will see you next week. And now for the spoilers. <laughs> now for the spoilers. <laughs> we should also say we do have a very nice little Discord community if uh, people don't use um, other social media and you just want to come and chat about all sorts of rubbish. Um, yeah, we, we have links uh, to that uh, Discord invite as well um, in our uh, in our show notes. Anyway, spoiler time. Spoiler time. So this is ambiguity territory. And the reason I call it ambiguity is because I have spoken to you guys already and three other community members about this piece of law mm. and nobody can actually come to a concise answer because it's one of those rare moments in a law where the prob probability is tipped on both sides. And that is that sage reference I was talking to you guys about. Now, a lot of people are on, this is why we think probably the scales are balanced. A lot of people think it could just be a random description and it's more than likely. But also the probability is in this time frame, in this specific moment in law, it is meant to have said that Haftan came across Basim. Now, how the book is worded is, you know, Haven kills him, but as he pushes him off the ledge, he says, as he's dying, it never says, the dead body. So, a lot of us are on the ambiguity trail of dying, is a specific word to say dying, so did he fall in the way, see Basim, recognise him, and then flee? Is that a ambiguity possibility or is the other possibility that it's just nothing and everyone i've talked to is divided and it's a balanced divide it's not like you're wrong you're wrong it's just there's not enough information to make a clear answer and it's just more than likely is a random description but at the same time this is the moment where Hafdan, who was resurrected early knows Basim and sees Basim in Constantinople. So, shall yeah. I, shall I read the paragraph so people can just have a listen to yeah, it? Yeah, give the yeah. give the context right. for it. So, I I'm only going to read like three sentences because it's a short paragraph, but it it leapt out to me straight away and, and like Michael said um, a few minutes ago, the three of us plus others were, were kind of reading this as fast as possible once we knew that the uh, the preview was available. I think all of our eyes were drawn to this sentence with a, with a what the heck? So let me just read this. Um, Hytham waited, observing his target. The man was also cloaked and hooded, head bent slightly to watch his footing on the loose tile. He was close enough now that Hytham could see a faint scar at the base of his neck beneath curling blonde hair, his skin darkened by the sun. 
and it's that scar reference. Straight away, I thought, wait a minute. Now, we all know from previous recordings that I have not kept track of all the different Norse characters and which ones are sages for which uh, which Isu gods and all that stuff. Um, but I'm guessing you guys probably have kept track of this a lot more closely than I have. So do you think this is a, a reference to a another sage that Hytham observed? And if so, which one is it? I will note, uh, no, not at all. I think that, yes, it was a little Easter egg to the scar on the neck because that's how, um, you know, Odin and Sigurd, you know, and they all had their scars and stuff. But Mm. this was just an enemy. This was not anybody special. There is, you know, the hint of something, but saying that this person was a sage that Hytham, an, uh, an acolyte, killed is a stretch on all sense of the term. Um, you know, not not trying to be, uh, you know, negative or anything. I'm not going to say, no, no, you know, no. this is this is a stupid thing, but no. Uh, I didn't even, until Declan had mentioned about it in the Discord, I didn't think a second thing about it. I just thought that it was close enough to where he could see a scar on his neck. That's how close he got to him. I didn't even make the connection that this was Odin or... Um, or tear, you know, uh, because Hytham wouldn't know anything about that. So, I mean, this is this is. I mean, I love the the conspiracy theory. Why why include that description? Why not just have the target who has blonde hair and suntan skin? I so, mean, it, yeah. it could be it could be just a fun reference, you know, or a fun yeah, Easter egg. But yeah. in my opinion, it's the same thing of noting: don't shoot until you see the white in their eyes. Mm. Yeah, you fair know? enough. So, Declan, are there any Norse characters that we haven't accounted for in Valhalla that this if you wanted to take the theory and run mm-hmm. with it and have some fun with it who could this be okay so this is where things get thin because I have worked my ass off don't out me I have literally worked my ass off to to unpick it because I have been reading books for over 13 years I've read random crap I do agree with Michael. It is probably just a descriptive of a kill. It's it's something I'm going to stand by. But at the same time, you read so many books after 13 years of so many plot twists, it's too on the nose. So the f- only two I can think of, and this is what I discussed in the Mentors, not the Mentors Guild, the ones who came before, Rick, who was Heimdall because he was almost killed by Basim in Constantinople, but survived. That is law. Okay. Now, the book specifically says, and I will get the quote underneath it, that it, again, why I'm, you know, on the nose, he says, Hyphen pushes the dying man into the alleyway that Basim's fighting. In my opinion, keyword dying man, there is, it never specifically says that he dies in the alleyway. All it says after that is, you know, Hyphen goes the other way and he sees that Basim's finished somebody off. And the other guy is up against the wall with the Viking. That's two of the assailants that Basim was fighting. But there should have been a third body in there. But it was never described because it was no point. So to me, I still think that it could have been Rick, who fell into Ali, was dying, who then, you know, probably clocked Basim and saw the way Basim was fighting. I probably thought, hang on a minute, that reminds me of how Loki fought and probably did clock the scar as well because the scars aren't, with Bastion's haircut, you're probably visible. 
and probably put two and two together and fled, or they go for only other character not in the universe is um, Harvey's son. He's the only trusted Aesir that Harvey had that's not counted for. But that's also a stretch. Why mm. would... I don't know. It's a, it's a weird one because... I don't know. Something about it is just too on the nose. Yeah, Again, I, I, it's it's a fun theory. Well, great. And I think that's why I said it's like this... <laughs> It's why I go with it's an ambiguity sort of thing because there is so much evidence pointing to yes, it's a description of a kill and I cannot dispute that. That is the most likely theory. But because Valhalla talks about Rig, who's Heimdall, who's in Constantinople and neither got killed by Basim, but the developers and no one and the contacts and all that haven't touched upon that yet... And this is the only story we've got in, in Constantinople at this time frame. You're left then with this void of law where when did Basim come in contact with Heimdall? And then you suddenly get this book, and this book's like, yeah, he jumped somebody who had a white scar. It's then, oh, wait, is this the law connection of how Heimdall was in Constantinople with Basim? And it's a stretch, it is a fun theory, but. In my opinion, it shouldn't have been added even if it was just an Easter egg. Because, again, that void of Heimdall saw Basim in Constantinople and knew he was Loki, that void has already caught the issue of don't toy with it because you're just going to cause more conspiracy theories until somebody can give a definite answer, if that makes sense. There's only one way to know. Ask the author. I have. Oh, you have, but you didn't get an answer. Okay, fair enough. (laughs) But you see why it's like an ambiguity sort of thing, because no one can be wrong and no one can be right because only the author knows. So it's an annoying one. I won't lie. Well, see, here's here's my thought on it uh, from a, a logical standpoint. We know that Odin, um, Freya, Tyr... Loki, they all actually made it into, um, as Acer, they, they actually had themselves uploaded, um, you know, quote unquote, into, uh, Aegisil. But the other ones, because I know some people died when everything started exploding. Who all died that didn't get uploaded? I don't know who it was. It was the one that Loki killed, wasn't it? Yeah, so like it, it, we'd have to go back and look who did he kill before he got in uh, before he got in the machine. Let me see if I can find it because I don't think that all of the Aesir made it into Idrisil. No, they I mean they I think that's I think my my interpretation of the the hidden he truth killed that's what it says. I'm looking at the wiki right now. It said Loki right. then he- killed Heimdall and took his mask before uploading himself. So Heimdall could not be a sage because he was never uploaded. Mm. Mm. But the law in the wiki already says that Heimdall was resurrected as Rig. And Rig was a Viking warrior and Rig met. And oh, that's where the Rig Sucker. Um, yeah, Rig is meant to be Heimdall, ah, who was born work, too early. Re- yeah, this reincarnated is- as Rig. 
Okay. Okay. So it's all <laughs> square that circle, my friend. <laughs> right. You see where this is getting? Because Rig was a Viking. Rig worked as a Viking, and he lived as a Viking life. So if the Viking trade is running through Constantinople at this time, then Rig would have been one of them Vikings. So confusion overload, happy Easter egg, yes. Descriptive of a kill, yes. Law confusion, major. <laughs> See, I'm just confused. <laughs> mm. So the other thing that I'm looking at here... Possibly. Sorry, Declan. Who was Rig, the the sage of? Uh, Heimdall. Heimdall was Rig reincarnated. Rig was Heimdall reincarnated, and okay. by law, Heimdall was the one that killed Loki. No, Loki kills Heimdall in the myth, I believe. But in the in, in the, the Norse myth, or in the Assassin's Creed adaptation Both. of Norse myth. Both. Both. That's where things are confusing because he then couldn't have uploaded his conscience, but he must have if he. Well, what really... about if he was killed after he uploaded his consciousness? Which is why. It well, see, that's what I'm, I'm starting to think about now. Um, it's possible, but that, that that that's so technical. You know, like that's something I wonder if Darby would <laughs> you know, be able to explain. You know, in um, so think back to two and a half years, right, or almost two years, two and a half years to the original release of Valhalla. You played the game, you unlocked um, the Hidden Truth video, and you saw uh, Odin and the, the Asius uh, leaders uploading their consciousnesses into, you know, the babies in the pods. And that was it. That was the end of the game. And, you know, um, we've had so much additional media like the Dawn of Ragnarok and, you know, what you're describing. It seems a lot of shit happened between them uploading their consciousnesses, walking up to that door when the fire's coming in and everything, and actual the end of the world, which appears to have only been a few hours away. But somehow there's an awful lot of story <laughs> being fitted into those few hours of uh, of um, of time. Anyway, I don't know. It just it just makes me laugh, Declan, buddy. Right. So I I can't find the source of this. So somebody will have to help me, and I will do everything. But I found a Reddit post that may shed some light on this. So, it's a spoiler theory about Basim's origins, and it says, In the saga about Rig Redison, we learn, and then it goes on to, One day Rig awoke on a long ship and started out to the coast. He consulted the old skull that once sang to him, and turned to his shipmates, We dock here, he said. He walked onto the pier and smiled. This was the city of Constantinople, the majestic milk guard. There he met many different people, and for time, Rig was lively once again and learned communion with God and all worshiping different sects. The voice remained instructing him to confront a man with a mark in the House of Shadows. He was to kill him or else he would be killed. He returned from the House of Shadows with blood on his body but refused to answer any questions. So he did say, I have come before my time, I was born too early, and I am alone without my father, with my friends. None understood the meaning of his statement. So that is Rig Rackerton's saga. So... If we were to interpret that with Constantinople and the House of Shadows, then he must have been sent to Constantinople to kill Basim, so he would have been working with the Viking mercenaries. The blood on his body was never was ambiguous. It doesn't say where it came from. So that could have been the wound he received from Hyphen. But again, it's too ambiguous because 
that Rick Radisson saga is just incomplete. There's not enough evidence. Mm. <laughs> yeah, but the other thing I think about it is looking at the the notes about Rig. Um, if I'm the dates when it comes up. to the settlement in England, it was eight twenty, so it would have been yeah. forty years prior. Yeah. So, so it can't be Rig. I mean, there there's a lot of things that like you could potentially fit that puzzle piece in there, but the main thing I look at is why Hytham? Why would Hytham be the one to kill him? That's the crux I'm struggling with. Because I also don't think that Basim would be paying that much attention to look at every single body before he put a blade in them to see, oh, do you have a scar? Do you have the scar? Do you have a scar? No, he's just fighting. And that's the problem that I'm having. It's why this Easter egg, I think, came at a wrong time. Because we know... Because if he settled in 820, and we know that Bassam was only in Constantinople in 726, because then he went to uh, 760, then this is the only recorded instance so far of a sage being next to Bassam. It's just odd, if that yeah. makes sense. It's a good Easter egg, but it's just weird in its place that unless the author can shed some light... It doesn't make sense to right. me, if that makes sense. It's just too confusing. Have uh, we James? had multiple sages together before this game? No. It's only been Rig- one sage at a time, right? Uh, yeah, it was about, always Atea. What about... Um, no, though he was the only sage. Uh, Desmond's son in the comics. He was a sage, but there weren't any others. No, I don't think there were... I think you're right, Michael. I think it's it's Avor and Bassin being and Sigurd yeah. and Bassin being together. That's the first time there's multiple Isu descendants. Yeah. Whatever phrase you want to use. Um, in the same room together. Yeah, because Valhalla is the only game, and Odyssey's the origins is the same. If you look at the Seventh Son Farmer's Mission, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. all the other sages in the game are always Juno's husband. Right. If I remember True. correctly, they've never True. added any different sages but obviously community members cannot say well there was no other sages because that's not right you know you can't just say there's no other sages if never mentioned it so Valhalla is the first game to ever suggest a multi-sage um, operation essentially right but they're the only sages that cannot resurrect Atea is always reborn but once these sages die they die so their process is different to what Juno did yeah but it is funny that Rick said he was born too early. So there must have been a body clock to be housed. So then there must have been like a body clock system. So they're all born again at the same time zone. So they can be a family again. That's a good which, point too, because you also have to keep in mind that um, uh, the life expectancy of people back then wasn't a hundred years or a hundred plus like it is these days. It was probably like 40 or 50 at most. Mm. Mm. So they had a lot running against them. So it was a suicide mission to come together because they didn't know what they walking into. They didn't know how the bodies would react. And it seems Riggs was the only one that fully understood. And from that saga, Talking Skull, he must have had a piece of Eden with him. So, in my opinion, he must have... 
that must have been his anchor that kept him staying with his sage. Whereas Eivor fought against her sage because it offered oppression in order, but she needed freedom. Basim connected with his sage memories because they have a common ally or a common weapon, enemy. And everyone else just, I really don't know what happened, how they came together. So it's weird. Put it this way, it's an Easter egg that I just don't think should have been there because it causes too many confusions. Could yeah. I take that point almost just very just for a minute? I, I, I do agree with you. If I read the next paragraph that comes after what I read a moment ago, I thought when I saw that sentence, this was going to be, oh, Sigurd is about to enter stage left. Awesome. We're going to see a nice kind of neatly tied up bow. Um, let me read the next paragraph. Um, the man shifted slightly as a tile wobbled beneath his boot and Hytham seized the advantage. He leapt into the air, exploding over the peak of the roof, wind whistling in his ears. His target must have sensed the movement at the last minute for he spun, but it was too late. Hytham kills that target. And straight away, I was like, okay, no, that's not Sigurd because hey, right. we know that Sigurd is alive <laughs> five years later, 10 years later. But yeah, that, that sentence yeah, did make me think, awesome, Basim is going to meet Sigurd. We're going to watch that interaction from Hytham's point of view. But no, it, it didn't happen like that. So yeah. it, it does stick out as an unusual um, entry. Anyway. I mean, lesson learned. Don't add Easter eggs in a time frame that's already been mentioned because it's just going to cause confusion. Add Easter eggs where they're not meant to be. That's how it works. Well, I think that's also, it's a good thing too because you throw an Easter egg in there just to make a reference. I mean, that's what Easter eggs are. It doesn't mean that it's actually going to come to fruition uh, and link to something, but it's just because it, we could say the same thing. At the beginning of the story, when uh, Leo the Sixth has a nightmare, um, where he thinks that somebody is watching him at the foot of his bed, um, Basim, when being told about the dream from Hytham, he's like, it's a djinn. And I'm like, that's Loki. You know, yes, because that that's what's going to happen in Mirage. I mean, I, uh, we haven't had confirmation yet, but the trailer for Mirage is showing the shadowy figure in Basim's mind, and it's Loki, but Basim believes it to be a djinn, an evil spirit. So and that was a Easter egg. That was a reference to Mirage, the only one that's made. Um, unless you also count Rohan just being present, uh, because we would have not known who Rohan was before the trailer uh, and everything, because Rohan didn't exist prior to Mirage, um, but um, or at least the Mirage announcement. But um, that is an Easter egg where it does do what... Declan was theorizing with the scarred person on the rooftop in Constantinople. Because um, it has actually been confirmed by uh, the lead director of um, Mirage, because it's one of the points that people have had angry with me, because I see it differently, is the Jin is actually confirmed to play a big part. You know, mm. it is confirmed that is a Jin, and it plays a big part. But then she does say that mythology doesn't play a big part in this game. And I'm like, okay, I get it. It's not a big part we get in, Mara in Valhalla. But if you're using a Jin to say what Loki is, and the Jin plays a vital part to Basim's growth, then in my opinion, mythology is a core pillar because 
the jinn, even though it's a physical representation of a memory, is mythology. Even if it's not a dragon fight or taking mushrooms, which is actually historically accurate to go to a dream world, having the whole story arc of Loki's memories as a jinn is mythology, in my opinion. But yeah, that's confirmed, and that's why I left out the sea, because I was like, <gasps> the jinn's back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the jinn. Oh, Bastin, you honky man, you've found the shit. <laughs> <laughs> but I do agree, that is, that's how an Easter egg's supposed to be. Yeah. There's no ambiguity, there's no questions, you you know the reference, whereas you know the reference to the scar on the neck, but there's no cause for it to be there, except it's just a good description of the last detail you know it's before you kill someone. I, w- I will say, though... You know, going back on some of the stuff that I had said previously um, about it not mattering, it is a good point that multiple of y'all um, read that line and were like, oh, what's that? You know, and mm. not everybody would do that. If you only started with the Golden City or played Mirage and then did the Golden City, you know, you wouldn't know this. You know, those of us that have done the deep dives in Valhalla would know about it and while i on a personal level am like it's just a guy you know there's <laughs> multiple of y'all that were automatically is that something is that something is that something you know yep. because yep. it did bring up that question so that's the good thing for it and it could be an easter egg in that point but until we do get some kind of confirmation from julia we're not gonna know mm. Mm. plus it actually, sorry for putting in germs. No. Um, I should have been slightly earlier to these people. But that one Easter egg prompted two people to sign up to NetGalley to download the preview <laughs> so they could read it. Yeah, um, uh, I because I was discussing it with Six Keys and a fellow user called Mayor121 in mm. the Star Player about it because I wanted their lore opinions and that's why like Six Keys who... <laughs> Excellent. Six Keys was like, Rig was Heimdall and he was almost com- killed by Bastion Constantinople, but survived. You know, it was Six Keys who put me down that Rig path. You know, I wasn't even close. I was like two cities away from someone else. But I came back the other day and May, and, um, May 121 was like, uh, okay, I'm going to look into it. And then he uh, got a ping the other day and he was like, uh, where's it gone? Uh, I'm also reading it. I applied to NetGalley and got approved. So that Easter egg just convinced some people to just nip out and be like, oh, I want to check mm. this. Mm. So that's a good thing. <laughs> it is. And I think on that note, we should end the show. Because I've we just realised, I didn't realise we've been talking for this long. The timer says two hours, ten minutes. Mm-hmm. Which is insane. (laughs) Well, it's Sunday tomorrow. All I've got to do is get dressed, go to the shops, get some bread, sit down, play with the kids, and I'm reading a book. Nice. Nice. Oh, also, Michael. Yeah. You you like reading, don't you? Yeah. I've done, uh, I'm on my fourth book of the year so far. Or the third book. I don't remember. It's... No, it's not. It's not Assassin's Creed related. It's not historical related. But I need more people to share this with because it's fun. If you ever just want something unique to read, 
look out for what's called Twisted Tales. Mm-hmm. They're basically a what if Disney stuff. So I just read one called Straight Out Into Morning, and it's basically asked the question what if Wendy went to Neverland with Captain Hook instead of Peter Pan? Hmm. But the very young adult slash adult orientated. Yeah, I've seen the I've seen the art books and stuff. It was a um, it was a mobile game as well. I, I just I've been reading them and they're addictive. It's really cool. And I was like, I need a book for a neck and shove. Recommend them on. Right. I was going to shove recommend them on to James. I think James would be fed up if I just shoehorn tons of book ideas. <laughs> Keep sending them my way. I'll be honest. I'm so glad that Michael joined us for this this recording. Yeah, um, fun. because I'm not much of a reader. So the fact that you, Declan, love books and read many books, and you, Michael, read many books, that was it. All worked out well. You balance out the fact that I'm the the weak link in this um, this episode. I've uh, put myself on a book ban because uh, I went to the charity shop the other day and I picked up a book. Uh, which was AC2's Renaissance. So I now own all Assassin's Creed books outside of The Last Descendants. So, yes. And I then went to the shops again and bought a What If, uh, another twisted tale. It was a What If Sleeping Beauty Never Wakes Up and the Prince Falls Asleep With Her. Mm. So it's all about, like, in her mind. It sounds really dope. And then I went to the charity shop the other day in under a week and ended up buying... Douglas Adams is Hitchhiker's Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy and Dirk, Gently the Holistic Detective and a new Stephen King book. And now my pile is 28 strong and I haven't even got through it yet. So I've got over 60 (laughs) historical books in my my new history library and I've only read like three of them. So I am slowly <laughs> reading through. I just finished 24 Hours in Ancient Athens, which was a great read. And it has a lot of characters that we know from Odyssey with uh, Socrates and Akibiables and Aspasia. Uh, a great kind of, I wouldn't say historical fiction, but it's not necessarily based on on history it's just taking tidbits of history and writing a story about them um so you could call it historical fiction but it's it you you do learn a lot it's almost like a like a novelized uh discovery tour that sounds pretty cool the one book you have got in your shelf which i love your opinions on is stephen fry's mystios mm-hmm. i i read that and i'm not to be rude i think i've never looked at greek gods again I'm yeah, like, I will Jesus probably Christ. get to that sometime in the next couple of months because I think I'm going even though I said on my personal blog and my Twitter that I'm going to start um the uh, Last Kingdom novelizations with the Saxon Tales, um uh, I'm probably going to go through all of my Greek stuff and Roman stuff first before I do anything, but I'm still trying mm. to figure out how I want to do that. Hey James. I, I don't have up. any book recommendations, chap. Sorry. Well, you know what we're going to do now? YouTube stream, which is just a giant butt club. Me, Michael, <laughs> James just tagging along. How and we try and spoon feed we book do. ideas to one another. You got to get nerdy archer and we'll play a game. Yeah. <clears throat> Sorted. <laughs> book trivia. So I guess that is all we actually do have time for. So. I think so. This is our second wrap up. So. Thank you all for listening and glad to be back. And I think we'll speak to you all next week with, I don't even know what topic we're doing next week. 
<laughs> me neither. I don't look that far ahead. We'll see what you all soon. Solve? We need a seer. We need a Valka to help us. Mushroom tea. Thank you all. Bye, everyone.